Who here has never, never been anxious? Any never beens? I've never been anxious ever in my life. All right, see, I knew this sermon was for you today, okay? If you guys will listen today, and I'll try to go quickly, not belabor too much. I'm in a mellow tone. I can feel that today. That's not good. That means you're going to sleep on me, right? If you will pay attention today and listen closely, I think God really has something for you as you deal with anxiety, okay? And we're going to talk about different kinds of things that I think we'll point out. I've got a kind of a challenging statement that many people would probably disagree with me about, so you won't be the first if you disagree too, but I think it'll make you think a little bit this morning, and hopefully it will draw you closer uh, to the Lord. So we're going to move around a little bit today. Uh, in my devotions, I was doing Psalm 86 this week, and we'll get there at the end of the day, but we're going to spend most of our time in 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you want to turn so this is going to be wrecked, part two, First Peter, chapter five. And again, if you guys want to invite people or share, we'll try to share online. We have the first message up from last week. And so if you want to share with people what's going on here and how the Lord is speaking, um, we are going to look at fear next week, okay? So we're going to look at dealing with fear. Most of us have that issue as well. And then that fourth week, we're going to look at Chaos. We're going to look at what does it mean to find peace in the midst of chaos. Again, next Sunday is Mother's Day. So mothers, if there's ever a day for you to make your kids come to church, that's the day to get them, right? Tell them to be here for Mother's Day. And we'll have a good special day together. And hopefully we can tie everything together where the Lord will really speak and move. But please invite people this week to our services next Sunday. All right, First Peter chapter 5, and we're going to start again verses 5 through 7, and then we'll work through a few different passages as well this morning. So Peter says, he says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yes, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. And this is our key verse here today. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. This is from Orita Shup. I just like this little story. It's a quick one. When I babysit for my minister's three-year-old, one of our favorite games is Go Fish. One evening after winning several rounds, she kept bragging about how good she was. Jokingly, I said to her, I'm going to have to teach you a little humility. And immediately she looked up and asked, how do you play humility? Right? Do you know anybody that needs a little uh, lesson in humility? Have you ever tried to teach someone a lesson in humility? Yeah, come on. Let's see the hands there, right? Right? In different ways, right? Maybe in your driving, have you tried to teach someone a lesson in humility? Yeah, more than one occasion probably, right? in the line at work or at the grocery store. All right. I think we're going to make you think a little bit this morning about the difference between pride and humility. You're probably thinking, well, what in the world does this have the anxiety? And I think you'll see it, it all ties together. Uh, here's the whole sermon in a nutshell, if you would, this morning. This is from Thomas Merton. This is his quote. He says, give me humility in which alone is rest and deliver me from pride, which is the heaviest burdens. Think about that for a second. Give me humility in which alone is 
rest and deliver me from pride, which is the heaviest of burdens. So here's my challenge to you today to think about this way, okay? If you're having problems with anxiety, you're not going to like this, but I think it's going to, if you look at the root of the problem, it's going to be a pride problem. See, it's super quiet in here. You're like, no way. Bear with me today. Look at the scriptures. And I think Mr. Thomas here is right when he said, in humility is where there is rest. But in pride is where the burdens are. Okay? Again, today I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to shame you into something. But I want you to see the connection. And this is what I want you to think about. See if you think this is true. For you math folks out there, see if this, these equations hold true today. I think according to the scripture, again, you check it out, make sure, but you can make a strong tie between arrogance and anxiety or pride and anxiety. Okay? You're like, no, that's not the problem. I'm a humble person, but I just got a lot of stuff going on. Amen? <laughs> Humility and healthy heart, rest, peace, those things tie together. All right, that's what I want to try to prove to you today as we work through this passage, and especially we'll hit it up with David in Psalm 86 at the very end. But I want you to see that I think that our anxiety finds its root in pride. And if we can find a place of humility, we will find the peace that we've been looking for. If you will, the, the, the title of the message this morning should be, It's Not My Problem. And literally, I want you to make it not your problem anymore. I want you to weigh out this morning and see if you think this is true. People who are worried are often taking God's role. They are having a problem with their own ability to control their circumstances. I think it's a matter of control. Humble people have a much less difficult time, again, in my opinion, with this. This is perfect. If you... I'll try to give this to you later, push it out on the social media this week. This is from Corey Tenboom. You know what she's been through with concentration camps and all those things, right? Listen to what she has to say on this subject. So good. Somebody said to me, when I worry, I go to the mirror and I say to myself, this tremendous thing which is worrying me is beyond a solution. It is especially too hard for Jesus to handle. And after I've said that, I smile. And I'm ashamed. Isn't that good? Oh, I just, how am I going to pay for this? There's no way to pay for this. This problem is too big. There's not enough money. I can't do this. What's going to happen? It's, it's too big a problem. Even Jesus can't fix it. This health issue, what's happening to my body? I can't understand it. You guys, last Saturday, I thought I was dying. I had this crazy tooth and it was all infected. And oh, man, the pain was horrible. It's too big a problem. What's going on? It's over. I don't know what to do, but this is horrible. It's too big for Jesus to do something about it. So you put your problem in the middle there today. What problem is it that you're facing right now? That It's like, I just don't know what to do. It's just causing me to worry and to stress, and I don't know how to handle it. Is it too big of a problem for Jesus to take care of? Again, this is coming from a woman who'd been through some of the worst of the worst, and she reminds herself that there is no problem that is too big that the Lord can't take care of that problem. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Now, we all know that God won't eliminate difficult circumstances from our lives, but he leads us through them, right? If you follow the Israelites, that's how he works. 
He doesn't usually just say, well, there won't be any strife or problem. But what he does, if they will follow him, he takes them through the circumstances, increases their strength and their faith and their courage. And that's how we need to face adversity. The key is that we have got to trust the Lord with the problems. And so again, I want to ask you this morning, is there anything too hard for the Lord? So our first thing this morning is this. God opposes the proud. Look again in verse 5 of chapter 5 of 1 Peter. He writes, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, if you read through 1 Peter, especially chapter 5, you're going to find out Peter is, starts out by hammering all the, the pastors, the shepherds. And this is a good reminder to me that if you want to be a good pastor shepherd, you're going to have to learn to give God the troubles. And you have got to be humble. But it doesn't fit just for pastors. It fits for all of those who are seeking to serve Christ. And so Peter will kind of transition from this idea of talking about shepherds over to this idea of humility versus pride. Peter asks us to kind of put on humility, like almost like you would wear a shirt. We need to leave it on and wear it all the time. And let me say this to you this morning. This is the key, I think, to me. This is a daily activity, right? Does anxiety come at you daily? Right? And it comes at waves, does it? It comes in waves, doesn't it? Right? If you had a good day, then, oh, I think it'll be okay. And then the next thing, some other issue pops up, and, oh, no, what am I going to do about this? Well, that means that daily we need to set aside our pride, and daily we need to take on humility by recognizing who it is that we love and who it is that we serve. Humility is recognizing your place in relation to God and to others. Just how small are you? Right. We have these strange thoughts sometimes. This morning we were talking, Todd was delving way deep into the subatomic particles he was talking about. <laughs> and you start to think about what's beyond, right? So, I mean, we have this beautiful space here, but outside of that is more space. So we live in Indianapolis, but you go to the bigger area, well, there's the state of Indiana. You go to the bigger area than that, and you've got the U.S., right? You go to the bigger area than that, and you've got this globe that's spinning, and it's the perfect distance from the sun, right? But you can keep going, right? Now, the problem is my knowledge is so limited, I can't go much further than that. Some of you maybe have studied and you know the stars and you know the galaxies and maybe you can go a little bigger. But the thing is that you could always draw a box outside of the biggest box, right? So how small are you today? And part of humility is recognizing your place in God's kingdom and that in reality, in some ways, we're really tiny. And yet the great truth is that the Lord loves us even though we are so small. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're reminded to submit ourselves to each other. And here the same truth comes through in the book of Peter. Are you submitting and serving others? Or are you expecting them to submit and serve you? So why, why should we humble ourselves? God opposes the proud. You ever seen any lessons where God opposed the proud? Well, you could start with Eve, right? What did Eve do in her pride? What did the devil tempt her with? She did. She believed the lie. She said, he said, it is good for food. It's pleasing to the eye. 
and it will provide knowledge to make one wise. Oh, you can be like God, this being that made you. We're still fighting that today, aren't we? Right? Those same three problems we're still fighting today, right? I want to feed my flesh. I want to feed my eyes. And I want to be wise and have more knowledge than anyone around me. Those things haven't left. Eve partook of the fruit, and immediately she found the opposition of God to the proud, didn't she? Well, it kind of ran in the family, didn't it? Who's next up on the dock? Cain and Abel, right? Cain makes his offering, and Abel makes his offering, and the Lord is offended with Cain's offering. He didn't do it the way the Lord asked him to do it, and then what's Cain do? My offering's not good enough for you. Abel's offering's a good one. I'm going to take him out. Pride. And then what happened to Cain? He wore a mark, and he was persecuted all his days, right? It doesn't take long to work your way through the Scriptures. You can start writing the book of Genesis. You'll find uh, Lot's wife. Remember her? She turned around, decided she would do things her way. All the tribes of Israel go through the book of Judges. You run the cycle, don't you, right? They start out. They get worship the Lord. They have a little prosperity. The prosperity increases. They begin to abandon their need of the Lord. They get a little proud. They forget their humility. And then the next thing you know, sin abounds. And the next thing you know, persecution comes through other tribes. And then Israel is falling flat on their face. And then God raises up a judge and we start the whole cycle again. All right? Pride. And it works its way through there. King Saul, remember his problem with pride? Right? What'd he do? God said, go and wipe out this people and wipe out these things. And instead he decided, well, I would hate to waste these really good animals. And I want to show off that I've captured the king. It'll be for you, God, but I want to make sure everybody knows I did it. Pride wears him out. King Rehoboam, remember him? After Solomon? Solomon in all his splendor, Rehoboam comes to the throne and what does he want to do? He's got to make a name for himself. So he talks to the elders and he talks to the youngers. The elders say, you need to, to pull back on the taxes. They're really, Solomon has really worn us out by trying to get all this money for all these things that he's built. You need to kind of relax things. And what do the youngers say? His young buddies. Pour it on, man. Bring in the more taxes. Make the load heavy. Make it like a scorpion whip. Rehoboam says, I'm going to make myself great. And what's God do to him? He splits the kingdom. Right? Are you getting the lesson today? When you try to go your own way and do the way you think is best and you seek out your own pride, the anxiety is only going to increase. The quicker we can learn to humble ourselves and trust the Lord, the sooner that peace makes its way into our lives. We could go on and on throughout Scripture stories. One of the most uh, ones I remember the most is Nebuchadnezzar. Remember that? What did Nebuchadnezzar do? He built this statue, right? like 90 feet tall, super skinny statue, but super tall. And then he decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a worship service for me. How's that sound today? Would you like a worship service for you? Like to declare and say, I want everybody in Indy to come and you're going to worship me today. And we're going to have a band like no other. It's going to be a rocking good time. And what we want to do is as the band is playing, I want everybody to bow down and pay homage to me. Right? That's not a bad deal, right? If you're the king, it should be that way, right? Except for three little Hebrew boys, and actually probably a fourth that we don't really hear about, but at least three of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody else bows down when the music plays, and what do those guys do? They stand their ground. Wow. In humility, they trusted the Lord. 
And they said to the king, King, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he does not, what? We are not going to bow down. And the king, what's he do to him? I'll show you. Again, that pride kicks in, right? I'm going to teach you a lesson in humility. (laughs) He throws him in the fire. There's a fourth man walking around. They come out completely, not even a hint of smoke. God is amazing. And all of a sudden, the king realizes, "Uh uh-oh, what have I done? You'll find later in the book of Daniel that because of his pride, King Nebuchadnezzar is for seven years, he will walk around like an animal. He'll grow super long fingernails. He'll get very hairy. And he kind of loses his mind for almost seven years as the Lord teaches him a lesson in humility. The greatest king at one of the greatest times on earth, God said, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I oppose the proud. Are you hearing the scripture today? If you decide you're going to be proud, you will run into the opposition of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. That is the gospel. Do you have to be in control today? Anybody like that? Uh, if we're in the car, I really want to drive. It's hard for me to not drive, right? Except for Isaiah, I got to make him drive. So I'm trying to teach him a lesson in humility, right? Do you guys have to be in control? Who has the remote control at the house on the TV? Who has to be in control, right? Who makes the decisions? What you're going to eat, where you're going to go. Well, the little decisions I don't care about, but the things I want to do, I'm going to do them. Think about this this morning. Some of them are humorous, but where they lead to is a deeper problem, especially on a spiritual level. Can you give your circumstances to God? He wants them. He wants you to humble yourself before him, and he will give you rest. That's what we're talking about today. We want rest. All right. God opposes the proud. Second piece today, God lifts up the humble. So verse six, verse six, God lifts up the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in when? This is tricky. In due time. That last phrase is really important because a lot of us don't like to wait. Anybody that don't like to wait? I'm probably one of the worst. I don't want to wait. He may lift you up in due time. So we've seen what God does to the proud, but what does he do to the humble? He lifts them up in his time. First thing is, he lifts them up. Think about this with me this morning. We talked about it again in Sunday school. If God can hold the heavens in their place, don't you think he can lift you up? Right? Isn't that the issue sometimes? I don't see a path out of here. I don't know how it's going to happen. Trust the Lord. He can lift you up. He does lift you up. He lifts up the humble. Now, again, I think the hardest part today is to trust the Lord's timing. A real quick biblical example of this. Remember Mary and Martha? Remember Mary was the one, like when Jesus came, Mary would sit at his feet. Martha's the one. She's got to be busy. She's making sure that the guest is taken care of. But Mary's the worshiper, right? They loved the Lord. They had great fellowship with the Lord. They had a brother. What was his name? Lazarus, right? And here's the deal with Lazarus, right? Lazarus is sick. And the, the girls, if you will, the ladies, they get word to Jesus. Hey, you need to come. Our brother is really sick. And we know if you're here, we know you can take care of him. And Jesus doesn't come. How do you think they felt? Maybe today you are in that spot and you're like, Jesus hasn't come. Where's he at? 
I thought this problem would have been fixed by now. I thought I would have found a solution or a pathway out by now. And he hasn't shown up. And so much so that for Mary and Martha, what happens to their brother? He dies. And so we all say, oh, it's over. God didn't do it. The Lord shows up four days late. But he was perfectly on his calendar. It was perfect time. (laughs) Can you hear me today? Can we even take some courage from our church today? We've been at this for a while now. We had a real, I want to praise the Lord. I don't want to minimize. We had a great Easter and the Lord drew in a lot of people and we were able to encourage some people and I think we're going to see fruit continuing from that, okay? But sometimes you're like, where's the Lord at? Why are we waiting so long? Why aren't he showing up? Lazarus was dead and Jesus begins to speak to him and even, even, even then, Martha in her faith says, Lord, I know you will raise him up at the last day. Again, I figured it out. I'm in control. This must be how it works. I know that someday you'll raise him up again. And what's the Lord do? You know the old joke, right? Why did the Lord say his name Lazarus? Because if he hadn't said Lazarus, probably everybody would have came out of the graves that day. Right? He is the Lord. That's the thing. He's the Lord. He took a dead man four days dead and said, come forth, Lazarus. And what happened? In his perfect time, Lazarus came back to life. Hardest part for me is trusting the Lord's timing. Oh, it's hard. And I don't want you to minimize that today. It is hard. And as brothers and sisters, we need to love on each other when we're in that time, don't we? Hey, it's a hard day. It could be a while. I don't know when the Lord's going to move. Well, come here. Let me encourage you. Let me pray with you. Let me share stories where I did see the Lord move. Even when the timing I didn't think was perfect, and I look back and I see... The Lord was doing this all along. It was his timing. And I have to trust him. The Lord will lift you up in due time. Again, and I'm not going to go through all these today, but Noah and Abraham and Moses are all Bible examples who humbled themselves and God lifted them up and they were lifted up at just the right time. And again, these are people that were humans that fell at one time or another. But in spite of this, they learned to trust the Lord and to turn their burdens over to him. And isn't that what it's about today? That's all I'm asking today. Resign your control. Give your God your resignation letter and say, Lord, I'm done controlling. You take control and you do something the way you need to do it in my life for your glory and for my joy. Again, humility in my mind equals a healthy heart. And I think we could demonstrate this over and over that people who are humble have great peace and great joy. And I have people all in my life that I know that that equation works for me when I think of who they are. The people that I think of the most humble, Dr. Gray and my grandpa Malone and Dr. Miley, the people, some of the most humblest people I've ever been around also seem to have the most peace and the most joy. It just seems to be that that is that principle that holds true. So I ask you today, will you give your circumstances to the Lord? And not just today, but every day. And here's this great truth that we can rest on today. God cares for you. If you don't have verse 7 highlighted in your Bible, whatever version you got, it's good in every version. <laughs> Cast all your cares on him, for he careth for you. Cast your cares on him, he cares for you. The NIV here today says, cast your anxiety on him. Are you wrecked today in anxiety? What's the scripture say? Give that anxiety to God. He loves you. Whew. Isn't that good? 
The Lord loves you. He loves you so much. Why should I trust God? Why should I give my worries to him? Because he cares for you. This is overwhelming to me. Remember again how small we are, yet God cares for us. And as we saw just a few weeks ago, again, he just doesn't say he loves us. What did he do? God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He shows it with action. He gives us his son. That's how much he loves us. The good news is the gospel. The good news is that Jesus died, if you will, as Paul said, for the scum of the earth, or as we sing in our hymns, for such a worm as I, the Son of God left the highest throne of heaven to descend to earth, to be born as a man, to die for people who hated him, who cursed him, that they might find forgiveness and life everlasting. God cares for you. He loves you. And when you face anxiety, this is that truth that you need to cling to. Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Isn't that a great phrase? Pour out your hearts to him. Are you hurting today? Are you worried today? Are you scared or nervous today? Pour out your hearts to him. Tell him about it. Sometimes we're so sanitized in our prayers and we try to find the right language and we're afraid to ask God for very much. We just want to get a little bit of this or that. The psalmist says, lay it out. Tell him. It hurts. Tell him it hurts. You're happy? Sing how happy you are. (laughs) Pour out your heart to God. He is our refuge. Amen today. Be encouraged in that. Again, that is none of my words. That's all the words of the Lord. As we fight through things like uh, panic attacks and anxiety and depression and just stress and worry, Pour out our hearts to God. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, probably one of the most famous passages about this topic, verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. You're like, yeah, right, Paul, right? (laughs) Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Pour out your heart to God. Do you see that very clearly in the Old and New Testament? It's the same command, isn't it, right? Give that burden to the Lord. And you do that in prayer. Now, here's this awesome promise, and we're just going to look at it just a brief moment this morning. Verse 7. What happens when you pour out your heart to God? What happens when you cast your burdens before the Lord? What happens when by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, you give those requests to God? What's verse 7 say? And the peace of God which is beyond, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus. Isn't that what anxiety attacks, doesn't it? It attacks your heart and it attacks your mind, doesn't it? Greg and I were talking this morning about (laughs) overprocessing. I am definitely an overprocessor. And if I'm not careful, anxiety will get in this mind and it just runs and runs and runs. And if I let it too long, it starts to get into my heart and then I get anxious and worried and burdened. And then even it can affect me physically. And have you ever had your anxiety affect you physically? That is rough stuff, isn't it, right? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guards your heart and your mind. How do you get it? You offer your requests, your petitions with supplication, with prayer, with thanksgiving. You offer them to God. You pour out your heart to God. And this isn't you did it back. 10 years ago, or you did it once this year, this is every day you pour out your heart to God. Again, from my friends, I've learned so much in India. They were small prayers, they were short prayers, but whatever they were going to do when they had a burden, they had a worry, 
they poured out their heart to God. And they released that all the time. They were releasing those burdens to the Lord. And we need to do that today. John Guest says this, When scriptures encourage us to pray without ceasing and to cast our care upon him, it is literally saying redirect those restless, energetic minds into a positive stream of communication with God. Turn it into prayer. Instead of nursing our wounds of self-pity, pray for the grace to forgive. Wow, that's hard, isn't it? But that's where the hope is. Instead of worrying about those for whom we are responsible, ask God to intervene and lift the burden from our shoulders. Instead of thinking creatively about how to bring someone else down, pray creatively about how to build them up. John says, when I lived in England, my landlady had a little wall plaque that read this. This is good. (laughs) Why pray when you can worry? Some of you have that in your house, don't you? No, the opposite is true, right? Why worry when you can pray? Give your request to God. God lifts up the humble. He takes care of his, home, his own. Psalm 55, 22, again, the same wonderful truth we see in Peter. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Right? Are you getting the message today? <laughs> Just pounding it and pounding it and pounding it. Right? Where is your faith this morning? Is it in your own ability to fix or manipulate the situation? Are you trusting the Lord? Are you trusting God? All right, do you guys remember George Mueller? He ran the orphanage on basically prayer and faith. And this is what he said about anxiety. This is very powerful. Kind of wears me out a little bit. He said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. Whoa. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. They go together. The best path through any fear is to remind yourself about the characteristics of God. And so Isaiah and I, we got to go up at Salomon. We had a really good little two-day time together up there. And in my devotions one morning, this is what came up. It was Psalm 86. And it reminded me of this truth. We've learned it in Hosea on Wednesday nights too. God calls us to acknowledge him. The more you get to know who he is, the better everything else will fit in place. The the smaller your worries and your problems will be when you see how great a God that you serve. Are you tracking with that today? So David in Psalm 86 is dealing with a lot of issues. You guys know David's life, right? How would you like to, as you have this great victory of Goliath, you win the battle, you come back, all the girls are singing your praises. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain 10,000, right? And then... You become best friends with the king's son and everything is, this is life, man. I'm loving it. And the next thing you know, the king is throwing spears at your head (laughs) while you're trying to entertain him with the harp. And the next thing you know, you're on the lamb, you're on the run, and he's trying to take your life because he thinks you're trying to take his throne. And you're hiding in caves and you're sneaking around and you know that people are trying to end you and kill you. And I mean, if you need a reason to be anxious or worried, I think David had one, okay? And in some of these things, he reveals his heart to us. And that's why I like to read the Psalms, because David is real about it. He doesn't pretend everything's always perfect and life's always wonderful. He tells the Lord, he pours out his heart to God. And in this Psalm here, he reminds himself of who God is. And that's what I wanted to do for you today. Psalm 86, verse 5, starts this way. David writes, he says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good. 
abounding in love to all who call to you. You can highlight that if you want. That's such a good truth. Hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. And again, he reminds himself of who the Lord is. Among the gods, verse 8, there is none like you. Lord, no deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you. Lord, they will bring glory to your name, for you are great and you do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. If God is only God, then he's the one we have to go to, right? Are you hear me out this morning? He needs to be, the, our heart needs to seek him first. Will we find help in other places? Yes, but it's the Lord delivering help through those other things. Hey, I am so thankful for a uh, endodontist that God made his hands and his mind. It saved me on Tuesday. Or I think I was going to have to start yanking stuff out of my mouth. <laughs> the Lord did the work. He did it through this man's hands and his training, his experience. But the Lord's the one who allowed that all to happen. Did I seek the Lord? You better believe I was seeking the Lord on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday about that issue. Because I knew the Lord could control it. How about you today? Where are you looking for your help? The Lord is the one who can make these things come to pass. Again, verse 11, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. And here's what I want you to think about this verse 11. Teach me your way and give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Again, I'm not going to take all this time this morning. Just recognize here that David acknowledges God for who he is. And we need to do that today. And I want you to look specifically at David's prayer when he's fighting anxiety. Again, remember, he was facing death from his own king before he became king. Here's his prayer, verse 11 again. Lord, teach me your way that I may rely on your faithfulness. And then give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. What does a proud heart say? I don't need you. I can figure this out. My jump shot's already good enough. What are you talking about? Don't mess with that. I can hit free throws all day long, right? My footwork is great. I don't need any help. I got this. I don't need some preacher teaching me the Bible. I've read the Bible. I know how it works, right? I don't need you to teach me how to fix a car. I know this stuff. Does a humble heart say, I don't need any help? <laughs> What's a humble heart say? Teach me. It says help, right? Teach me. Teach me. The Lord's trying to teach you today, and he's trying to teach me too. And when adversity comes our way, and we turn it into anxiety rather than turning it into an opportunity to grow, that's when our pride's kicking in. If we'll humble ourselves and let the Lord lift us up in due time, we'll say this, Lord, today, whatever this is coming to my life for, teach me. Let the humble heart say, teach me. And then what's the second thing in David's prayer that I love? Give me a what? undivided heart. Now, you guys check me on this, and we can study this in more greater detail, but I think part of this is this idea of humility and pride. Give me a heart that is not divided. Do you ever try to give your burdens to the Lord and keep them too? Amen? Anybody out there? 
right? So you're singing the Lord's praises in worship today, and you're hearing the truth of the scripture, and you're like, God can do this. Amen. Lord, take it. And then you're going to walk out of the building, and you're going to get a text. You're like, oh, no, Lord, you've got to hurry up. <laughs> right? Is that an undivided heart? No, that's a divided heart, isn't it, right? And we do that. We all do that. David says, give me an undivided heart. The humble heart is teachable. It is willing to learn the way of the Lord. It is willing to walk down the difficult path. The humble heart is not divided. It says, I am letting God be in control. The divided heart is anxious. And so our daily prayer needs to be this. Lord, teach me. Lord, give me an undivided heart. All right, I'm going to close this and wrap this all with this last illustration this morning. This is from Thomas T. Well. I thought this was a really good way to, to put it all together. He says, I know a man who was bearing the weight of the whole world on his shoulders. His name is Dr. George McCausland. Dr. George was one of the greatest YMCA directors the world has ever seen. But some years ago, he was serving at YMCA out in western Pennsylvania near Pittsburgh. And in that western Pennsylvania YMCA that was losing membership, that had financial difficulties and terrible staff problems, George McCausen found himself working 85 hours a week. That's a lot, isn't it? He found himself getting little sleep at night. He took little time off. And when he was off, he was worrying and fretting about the problems of the YMCA. He went to a therapist who told him he was on the verge of a nervous breakdown and he had to learn somehow to let go and somehow to let God into his problems. And he didn't know quite how to do that. So George McCausland took an afternoon off and he took a pad and a paper and he took a walk in those western Pennsylvania woods. As he walked through the cool woods, he could just feel his tight body and his tight neck start to relax. He sat down under a tree and he sighed. <laughs> For the first time in months, he relaxed. He got out his pad and paper and he decided that he would let them go, the burdens of his life. He wrote God a letter. He said, Dear God, today I hereby resign as general manager of the universe. Love, George. Then with a twinkle in his eye that is so characteristic of George McCausland, he said, In wonder of wonders, God accepted my resignation. Are you dealing with anxiety today? Maybe you need to write a resignation letter. In your heart this morning, you need to once again and every day, Lord God, please help me to humble myself. Teach me. Give me an undivided heart. Will you give God your resignation letter today? Will you let him finally be in control? Repent of your pride and your arrogance. That's what the Bible is saying today. Believe that the Lord does care. He does. He cares so much he offered his only son. Surrender your worries and let God have control of your life. And so in reminder, as we talked about last week, two things now. We had our first thing last week. What did we say as we thought about being rejected and the fear of that? That nothing will separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember that love. Remember, cast your cares on him. He cares for you. Today, I want you to add this to your little toolkit. Lord, teach me. Lord, give me an undivided heart because I know you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. All right, let's stand this morning. Um, again, today, I'm going to go and play as is our custom. And today is an opportunity for you to pray. And I guarantee that there are people here today with burdens on their heart. Preachers get them all the time as well. You get burdens about 
how you want to fix something, you want to make it right, and you just can't do it. So today what I want you to do, if, as we sing, as we play, I'll play for a while, and we might sing just a little bit as well. I want you to pray, and I want you to pour out your heart to God. And if you want to do that alone where you're standing, you can do that. If you want to go grab a friend and say, hey, will you come pray with me? That friend can come to this altar, and you guys can pray together. If you have a burden for somebody else that's just wearing you out and you want to pray about that, feel free to come forward today. But let's take a little time this morning and let's definitely remind ourselves of who God is and let's pour out our heart before him. Let's cast our cares on him because we know that he cares for us.